Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And as you do that, uh, look through your Sunday courier there and pull out the sermon notes. I'm sure that you've asked yourself, or, or you made the statement recently, you know, why doesn't God do something about this mess we have in the world? Almost every other day, I'm asking myself that question. Someone said, if God doesn't if God doesn't punish the world, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to see in a minute why that hasn't happened yet. But the book of Revelation is the book that really tells us about the coming of Christ, the judgment of God upon the world for its sins. And so we're going to begin a little journey today entitled Looking into the Future. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. You'll notice in the first verse here of Revelation 1, there are a number of different names mentioned. Jesus Christ, God, his servants, an angel, John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. It's a book about the future. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. One of the primary methods that God uses to carry out his plan in the world is angelic activity. There are invisible angels around us all over the place, according to the teaching of the Bible, who, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. You may have heard this before, but there's only one book in the Bible that promises a special blessing for those who hear it, for those who read it, uh, for those who do it, and that's the book of Revelation. It's kind of our incentive because you've heard a lot of people say, you know, I'm afraid of the book of Revelation. Uh, I don't like what it says because it seems to be all about judgment. It seems to be all about such negative things. Well, according to this, for the Christian, for the person who's a follower of Jesus, it is a blessed experience. It is a happy experience. Blessed is he who reads, that's me, and those who hear, that's you, of this prophecy, and those who keep these things, that's all of us, that are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. The book of Revelation is a, is a book of letters to seven different churches in Asia. When I was first starting to read the Bible, I, I always got confused when I came up with that word Asia because I thought of the continent of Asia. It's not. Uh, the ancient territory of Asia is Turkey the modern-day state of Turkey. So when you go in the back of your Bibles and you look up, you know, the maps back there, you'll find Asia written by all over Turkey. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come and from the seven spirits are before his throne. The seven spirits are just another name for the Holy Spirit. The word seven is a number of completion. And uh, 
the Holy Spirit is before the throne of God and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, this is so interesting because we saw Jesus Christ come at Bethlehem in his humiliation. But the Bible says when he ascended into heaven, uh, he was exalted. And this is his place of exaltation right now. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. We look at the world and we think, boy, this world is really out of control. Well, from our perspective, it is. But there is a controller in this world who is well aware of everything that's going on and is the ultimate authority in the world, and that's the Lord. He's ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, the Lord in heaven is the one that we credit with being washed from our sins in his own blood. Uh, another word that you could use there in place of the word wash is released. You know, we're living in a world today and people often tell me, they say, you know, I'm glad I'm not raising kids in this crazy world in which we live because it's filled with addictions. Everybody's addicted to something. And it didn't used to be that way 40 or 50 years ago, and that's really true. It didn't. Uh, but the hope for our families is not to shy away from having children and building a family. But our hope for our families is found in Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that can release no matter who is addicted to anything. And he can protect from becoming addicted to the addictions of the world through his blood. And he has made us kings and priests... Uh, a kingdom of priests. You and I are said today to be in the kingdom of God. The reason why? Because we follow the king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Our citizenship is not in this world. Our home is in heaven. Um, and uh, he has made us in his kingdom priests. You didn't know that, did you? Uh, you didn't know that the Lord has said to you, listen, you're a priest in this world. And that simply means this, that you have access to God. Because in the Old Testament, there were only a few people that ever had direct access to God. That was a scary thing, but not in the New Testament. In the New Testament, every believer has complete access to God. What does Hebrews 4.16 say? Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You just walk right into the presence of God anytime, any place, with any subject. You bring it to the presence of God. We're priests. Now, priest is someone who offers sacrifices. Thank God we don't offer the sacrifices in the Old Testament. That was quite messy. But the sacrifices that God requires of us is a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And so that, in that sense, we are priests. Uh, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now look at verse number 7. Here we, come to the, here we come to the jumping off spot. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He, the Lord, is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. I remember when I first started to read the Bible. Seriously. Uh, I thought, well, this is quite easy now because, you know, we have satellites and we have CNN and 
Fox News, thank God for that. We have all these news broadcasters, and if the Lord were coming, coming to the eastern sky to Jerusalem, as the Bible says he will, he'll put his feet on the ground there and establish his kingdom. So the satellites will pick it up right away and beam it around the world, and every eye will see him. And, that, and I thought, well, that's the way God's going to do that. But, you know, God being God doesn't really need CNN, thank the Lord, or Fox News. Uh, he, uh, he could... He could make people just in a miraculous way see him coming. And this is what the Bible says. Every eye will see him. Isn't that extraordinary? When Christ comes back in his revelation, every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him were responsible for his death. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. There's going to be a lot of mourning going on then. Mourning because they crucified Christ and they thought they were doing the right thing, but in fact they did the wrong thing. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation. These are the terms that people used to speak about in Christian circles back in those, those years. Uh, they were companions in tribulation. They were brothers and sisters in torture. And kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ who was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now today we're going to begin a journey, and this is just a little introduction today of the book of Revelation. Uh, taking a look into the future. The point of our message today is Jesus Christ is victorious. It didn't look like that when Jesus was here and he died upon the cross. But the first word up here in this book is revelation. The revelation. It's the Greek word apocalypsis from which we get the English word apocalypse. And probably somewhere along the line people will say to you, people will refer to the book of Revelation as the apocalypse. That's fine to do. That's just the Greek term. It's made up of two words, apo and kalupto, which means take away the covering. And here the Bible says that uh, the first thing that is going to be taken away, the covering that is, in Revelation is the covering over Jesus Christ. You know, God has been revealing himself to the world for a long time. This book is like the grand finale, the crescendo. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it was God revealing himself in flesh, human flesh. But I guess we could say that he was veiled in the flesh. We couldn't see God clearly. We just saw this man, human, human God-man. Uh, but now we find even more revelation of Jesus Christ. People have always desired to see the Lord. In Exodus chapter 34, 33 and 34, Moses was leading the people of Israel, and he was having a hard time doing it. Anytime you try to lead more than two or three people, you've got problems. And he had lots of problems. And so he got serious with the Lord one time, and he said to God, a prayer probably you prayed, Lord, show me your glory. And he meant by that, I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but I guess he meant, well, show me something spectacular, Lord. Show me something powerful. Show me something explosive. Uh, God did a strange thing there. God didn't show him something explosive. He explained to Moses who he was. 
Let's read this together. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let's go back to the first page there. In our world today, people love to talk about the love of God. And I'll tell you personally, I, I love to talk about that. Because I believe with all of my heart that, uh, that before every other thing that we know about God, God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. And his love is not like our love. It's not conditional. You know, ours has a lot of strings attached to it. It's not conditional. It's unconditional. God just keeps loving and loving and loving. And, uh, and when Moses prayed, show me your glory, God stepped up and he said, Moses, I'm going to not show you the glory. I'm going to tell you the glory. I'm going to tell you what's so glorious about me. And what we see by these passages of Scripture here is that God defines his character, who he is. Why do we come and worship the Lord in the church? Why do we go home and have our little prayer closet and take our Bible and get down on our knees and worship the Lord at home? Why do we do that? Is it because we're waiting for some big cataclysmic, miraculous event from God to say, hey, boy, look at how great God is? The thing that, the thing that really evokes worship from us is not what God does, but it's who God is. It's who God is. It's his character. And what he's saying here is, Moses, my glory is my character. I believe everyone's glory is their character. It's not what you accomplish in life. It's not what you leave behind. It's what you have exhibited through your character. And when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, God begins to tweak, perform sometimes major surgery, on our character so that we start to act more like him and to be more like him. I've had many people through the years say of a very old Christian, boy, they're so much like the Lord. That's the goal. And so here the Lord explains who he is. And uh, he, first of all, is a God of love. Let's look at it. Merciful, gracious, and long-suffering. Now, those are good attributes, aren't you? Aren't they? I'm glad God is long-suffering with me. I'm glad. Aren't you glad he's long-suffering with you? Amen. Uh, and abounding in goodness and truth. Let's go turn the page. Yes. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. God loves to do that. He loves to forgive sin. But look at this. This is where it all changes right here. But no, by no means clearing the guilty. I want you to always remember that. God not only is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And he made these rules in the Bible, and they weren't to be bent or ignored. He created like, you know, the Ten Commandments, not ten suggestions. You know, 
Nice, they'd be nice to do if you could, or you would, or you would like to. He laid out his plan, and when we disobey God's plan, we become guilty in the presence of God, guilty of breaking his law. And here the Bible says, yes, God is a God of love, but listen, look at that. By no means clearing the guilty, he is a God of justice. And so that means in order for us to have respect for God, we would expect him to keep his word. Am I right? Because isn't a person only as good as their, what? Their word. And so you better mark it down that God is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, etc. People have said, what does that mean? Does that mean when a father sins that his, his kid, that God punishes the kids and then punishes his kids and then punishes his kids? No, I don't think that. I think that simply means this is when someone grows up in a home that is, we'll just use the word, quote, dysfunctional. The chances are, a whole lot of chances are that that person's kids will be dysfunctional and that, then that person's kids will be dysfunctional and then that person's kids, it kind of passes down. But the good news is this, is there's, there's always the ability in Christ to break the chain of dysfunction. There's always a, a chance to stand up and say, hey, listen, uh, it's not going to be that way anymore because of Jesus Christ, because we have his power. And so here we have the love of God and we have the justice of God. Now, let me say this. No one who rejects God's salvation in Christ will escape God's punishment. You've asked yourself, why doesn't God punish this world? Listen, he's going to. And when you read the book of Revelation, it's like you're saying, I'm glad that I'm not on the other end of God's punishment. And the only reason that you will not be on the other end of God's punishment is because of the grace and forgiveness of God in your life. It's only that. Last week I talked to you about two streams of ancient prophecy, the conquering king and the suffering Messiah. Uh, and remember I said to you that the Jews wanted Jesus to be their king, but they sure couldn't recognize the suffering Messiah. But we can today because hindsight is twenty twenty, right? When Jesus came into Bethlehem, he came as the suffering Messiah. When he comes in the book of Revelation, he is coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Completely different. We call the revelation of Jesus Christ by a more common term, the second coming of Jesus. We really do. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels... The word revealed there in 2 Thessalonians 1.7 is the same word, apocalypsis. When the Lord Jesus is revealed, when the covering is taken away from Christ, you're going to see him come in clouds and in power with mighty angels. Now, the method of, his, of the delivery of this book, uh, there were a lot of people involved here according to verse number 1. There, First of all, there was God and he gave the message to Jesus. And then Jesus gave the message to an angel. Hebrews 1.14 says, Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for us who are the heirs of salvation. They are our servants. And then uh, the angel gave it to John, and then John gave it to you. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it is also a revelation of the future. Let's look at it in verse number 1. Things which must shortly take place. 
the future. You know, people have always been trying to look into the future, haven't they? Crystal balls, palm readers, fortune tellers. We have a fascination with the future. When we go out to an Asian restaurant, we get that little cookie at the end, right? And we open it up and it says, oh, you're going to meet someone that's going to make you feel good today. And you say, oh, man, that's awesome. I can't wait. We actually believe it. Uh, the scripture says here that these things must shortly come to pass. They must shortly come to pass according to God's clock. You know, God works on a different clock than we do. Uh, here's a verse I want you to write down and remember, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. You know, when we pray to the Lord, we say, Okay, Lord, you've got 24 hours to answer this prayer. I know you've never done that, have you? Or you have a week, Lord. You've got a week to answer this prayer. The Lord is not locked in to our time frame. You know that? He's above and beyond what time is. And, uh, and so here we are. We're sweating it out for a whole day. And God says to himself, you know, I have a lot of time. One day to me is like a thousand years. So when these things will actually come to pass, only God knows. But I know one thing. He's not in any hurry. Uh, who is the author here and the location and the day of this book? The author, of course, is John. He's an experienced writer. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and now he writes Revelation. Uh, he's not a psychic trying to predict the future, but he's a prophet trying to describe what God is showing him. Tradition says that he's the only one of the Lord's disciples who did not die a martyr's death. Uh, whenever he was preaching the word, he's, a, he's an old man at this time. And the Bible says in verse number nine, we read it. They put him on this penal island, this place where they put uh, people paying their, their cost to society. Uh, their version of Alcatraz, the rock. Right off the coast of Turkey is this little island called Patmos. And Rome would send a lot of their ex-cons prisoners to that island out on the rock. They were tired of hearing John preach, and they said, listen, we're going to get rid of him. We're going to close his mouth. And so here's John out there with all these criminals, and God says, now I want you to pick up a pen and write. And he's still preaching today. Rome didn't shut John up. Uh, the Bible says that uh, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, in our world today, let, let's read this up here in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, in our world today, people are saying, well, listen, come and accept the Lord and, and get a great life from God. You know, in their day, you know what they said? Come and accept the Lord and die with us. And you know what they did? They accepted the Lord, and they weren't afraid of death. And they thought it a worthy sacrifice to pay for the great gift of salvation. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 5. You know, they were preaching the Lord, and 
the disciples are being persecuted and beaten and thrown in jail and all this stuff. And the Bible says they went out. The Bible says, and they considered it an honor to suffer shame for the name of Christ. And so, you know, we may not live, especially right now in America and have to fear for our life, but this promise is still true. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise. Uh, the location was the island of Patmos. The day was the Lord's day. Look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. The Lord's day was, I, I know you know this, was the day that the church met together. It was, wasn't Saturday, it was Sunday. They celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday. And John was having his little church service. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which was about 40, 60 miles away from here. But when Sunday came, he had church. Uh, let me say this. Church is really important. And I know in our busy world, in our preoccupied world, it's becoming of less importance. But, you know, if a person will prioritize church, I guarantee you this. God, in a church that teaches and preaches the Bible and tries to serve the Lord, there will always be something there for you when you come to church. Because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some are. But encourage each other, and so much more as you see the day approaching. As the days get more evil and more evil, we need church more and more. We need the fellowship of God's people. And we come together in church, and this is what happens in church. Sometimes you sit there and you say, boy, I know that, and I know that, and I know all this stuff. And, but listen, God always has something there for you. Always something. Whether it may be something you already know that be, needs to be reemphasized in your life, or maybe it's something brand new that you need to deal with in your life. There's always something there because God sets the table in the church. And so here's John on the Lord's day. He's having church. And all of a sudden, the Lord comes down and speaks to him and calls him on a mission. In verse number 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear and those who keep the things which are written for the time is near. There's a special blessing for those who read, for those who hear the book of Revelation. Uh, it's called prophecy. You know, a lot of times when we, when, we, when we hear a prophecy, we think of predicting future events. But, you know, prophecy is more than that. It's uh, declarative. It's giving forth God's message. And so here we are this morning in the church. We are reading... Uh, we are following uh, the Lord's word, and God says, listen, I want to bless you. Verse number 8, uh, let's look at that. Verse 7, here we have the hope for the future. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is the hope for the future right here, the second coming of Jesus Christ to establish his king, kingdom in our world. Uh, you and I have lived long enough to, to have seen many people try to establish their kingdom in our world. 
I remember when our last president was running, we, uh, some people thought, well, that's the answer for America. And I told people, listen, Jesus doesn't fly around on Air Force One. The only hope for America is Jesus. Uh, you and I are looking at the demise of the world right in front of our eyes. And uh, that uh, makes us want to look up for the king. A lot of people thought that the United Nations would be an answer, but boy, what a disappointment that is. Uh, whenever Jesus comes again, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. No more Republicans. Sorry. No more Democrats. No more independents and whoever else there is. Uh, the reign and rule of Christ on earth will be righteous. That means that when he says something, he means it. And he will carry, carry forth with it. It won't be political. Uh, what are we to do in, in respect to all of this? We're to be ready. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this before I, before I close this morning. The revelation of Jesus Christ is when Jesus comes in power and glory in the world. And we're going to see this in the weeks ahead. But there are actually two phases to the second coming of Jesus Christ. First of all, there's the rapture. And then there's the revelation. The rapture is when Christ comes secretly into the world like a thief in the night. And he takes the church. And the church disappears from the planet. And then for a period of seven years... There is terrific persecution, and it's all recorded here in Revelation, on the earth. And just at the time when the world thinks that it's all over and done with, Jesus comes back to wage war against the Antichrist. And so if we were looking at this thing chronologically, we have to look at it this way. Bible scholars tell us that there is not one single event that has to take place in order for the rapture to take place. The trumpet could sound today. The dead in Christ could rise first. And then those of us who are alive and remain should be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. The key is to be ready to meet the Lord. And you know, when you're ready to meet the Lord, it's a wonderful thing, you know that? Because when you turn on the television and you see the gloom and doom and heartbreak of people everywhere... And the hopelessness of man to lift the world out of its dilemma. It's depressing. It really is. It's depressing. And so we look for another Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he became, he who was rich became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. One of these days, uh, we could leave planet Earth, and I'll tell you, I've, I've said this to you before, but I'll repeat it. When I was a young kid growing up in church and the pastor would talk about the coming of Christ, I thought to myself, you know, I'm really not, I really don't want that to happen right now because I have a lot of things I want to do in life, you know. First of all, I've got to get out of school. That's going to be a major project. Uh, and then I want to drive my dad's car. You know, 
uh, and then I want to get married and have kids, and I want to do all this stuff. And I remember the older Christians in the church, said, they used to say, man, I'm ready for the Lord to come right now. And so I want to go on record with the older Christians and say, I'm ready for the Lord to come right now. But whether I want it, that's beside the point. The Lord is coming, and it could be right now. So you be ready, okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, today, uh, I wonder if, if God is working in your heart. I, let me say this. God loves you so much that he sacrificed his son upon the cross for your sins. Now, I'll tell you, that's the greatest love in all the world. Uh, you can't dodge it. You can't run from it. It'll always be there. God will cut you off and look you straight in the eye and say, I love you. Don't go to hell. The reason why he sent his son to die upon the cross for your sins is, to, is so that he could indeed be the God of justice too. Because the scripture says he'll not let the guilty go unpunished. You are under a death sentence if you're unforgiven by God. But God has done everything he could to save you by sacrificing his son upon the cross. All you have to do is accept it and believe it and receive it and confess your sinfulness to God and ask him for forgiveness. And I, I'll tell you what, he will run to you he will run to you. And he will throw his arms around you. And he will meet you more than halfway. But you must come. And then you will be ready to meet Christ. Being in his forgiveness. Dear Lord, move among us today. We thank you for the book of Revelation that shows us about the future. We thank you that you loved us so much that that you took your son and sent him on a mission to give his life for me, for us, for every soul in this church today. Oh God, we'll praise you for this for eternity. You paid the price that we could not pay to give us a life that we could never have outside of your grace and your love. We praise you. Dear Lord, move among us today. For those in our church who do not know you, I pray that they may come to you today, on this day, that they may believe truly in their heart, in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. And as we sing our song, if you'd like to come and pray about your life or the life of a friend, just feel freedom this morning to step out into the nearest aisle and come and kneel here at the altar and pray. Uh, draw me close. Let's sing it to the Lord and feel free to come, okay?